0: I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be transformed to this world, do be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you might prove what is the good, the well-pleasing and the mature, complete, perfect will of God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall garrison your minds, your so my souls and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's take a few seconds tonight for spiritual preparation, confession of sins. Uh, it's something that we do routinely. It's a remarkable. A mechanic for us it puts us uh, back in fellowship it allows us to um, be spiritually productive uh, also um, allows uh, God the Holy Spirit to be able to uh, assist us reveal truth to us uh, and the truth that we hear helps it helps uh, us to uh, categorize it file it remember it and apply it later on Therefore, that's why it's so important for us to uh, keep short accounts, confessing our sins, so that our spiritual life is effective. So let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes and bowing our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Generally, Father, we're thankful uh, for uh, the United States, for the fact that you've given us a nation where we not only have the freedom, Father, to study the Word of God and to uh, express our faith. In other words, we have freedom of religion. We don't simply have freedom of worship, but we have the opportunity to live what we believe. And, Father, we pray that Uh, we would not only be thankful for that situation, but that we would also be aware of the responsibilities that fall to us as a nation that uh, is a spiritual leader, to be a spiritual leader in the world. Father, we are to be a a custodian for the Word of God. We are to have an outreach of missionaries to uh, lands that uh, our lost and in need of the Gospel, we are to be a um, a haven for Jews, and not only that but a friend for israel and we 're thankful that you 've given us the ability as uh, a power in the world, really a superpower in the world, to restrain evil uh, restrain evil in a way that uh, protects Christians uh, retards the persecution for Christians throughout the world but it also allows missionaries the uh, the freedom to give the gospel and Father we pray that we would return to that kind of attitude and that kind of um, uh, effectiveness throughout the world we know that uh, our enemies uh, are always uh, testing and trying to uh, encroach upon either our freedom or the freedoms of our friends. And we pray that, uh, Father, we would um, be honorable in our, our leadership and our um, uh, the way we uh, affect others around the world, but that we would also be bold in doing so. We ask for your uh, blessing now upon our study tonight tonight in the book of Zechariah. We're thankful, Father, as we study this passage, that we can see your character towards your people, and we are, Father, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are members of the body of Christ, we are members of the royal family of God, we are uh, your people as well. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, help us to be encouraged by what we study tonight, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're in Zechariah, Zechariah 14, and tonight, hopefully, we will study uh, verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. And if I had a title for tonight's passage, it would be uh, God's Protection and His Provision for His People. And of course, in the passage of Zechariah, Zechariah 12 through 15, its future Israel but what we should be able to see is the Lord's care and his provision for us as well as church-age believers and uh, tonight we're going to see several words that are um, quite dynamic and I hope to be able to visit the use of those words in several other passages Uh, in the Old Testament but in each one of them it demonstrates the fact that the Lord uh, is not uh, bound by um, certain uh, by restraints but he is able and free to uh, act and provide uh, for those who who love him and who are obedient Um, tonight we are in Zechariah 14, and we will be studying uh, verse 12. Here's Zechariah 14, 12. But let me read through the passage and then give a little bit of an introduction. And our passage begins with, and this shall be the plague. We finished verse 11 speaking of the fact that Israel was no longer under uh, a, a judgment and when we get to verse 12 we probably need to rework our chronology because verse 12 uh, pro- should be up below uh, verse 7 and we have verses 8, 9, 10 11 are sort of a parenthesis now there are those who would say that verses 12 through 15 are a flashback and that's fine it's however you want to view the chapter Uh, but verses 12 really pick up from where verse 7 uh, finished and so verse 12 says and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. And their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. And we'll come back and see what this word dissolve means. Thirteen. It shall come to pass in that day. And Zechariah continues to give us this continuity. The unity of in that day during the time during end times during the, the end of the tribulation that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. That's not very clear. We'll um, give some clarity to that. Judah, uh, verse 14 Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together gold, silver and apparel in great abundance such as, such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule on the camel and the donkey and on the cattle that will be in those camps so shall this plague be. The word plague used three times in this chapter, in this, actually, this passage. And, therefore, we get this distinct impression that there is a divine uh, intervention here in a very significant way. And we'll pick up the word plague and how it's used. But, one of the things that I'll, I'll add just before we move on, we often have a discussion by those who study end time events um, the tribulation um, revelation, and one of the uh, discussions revolves around uh, when John was discussing the actual events in revelation, and he sees uh, certain uh, events, does he see them from the standpoint of uh, his time or does he actually see them as future um, advanced events that have uh, advanced technology? And uh, there are excellent theologians and scholars on both sides. Some say that. Uh, there's going to be a significant, uh, destruction of electronic warfare, uh, and electronic warfare to destroy, uh, technical advantages so that we end up returning to, uh, some rather primitive means for fighting the, uh, the wars. Uh, others are saying, no, what John was seeing, he was observing, uh, some of the most advanced uh, weaponry known to man, but he doesn't know how to describe it. He doesn't know how to describe a a B-2 bomber or uh, an M-1 tank or uh, uh, equipment that's even uh, further advanced than that, whether it be uh, cruise missiles or something else. Uh, Therefore, he simply describes it in his own terms. Well, here we are in verse 15 we see horse and mule and camels and donkeys and cattle uh, that will be in the camps. And the question is, was Zechariah doing the same thing? And I don't know. This seems to be a fairly literal passage. And we're going to be uh, uh, translating it uh, and viewing it uh, from a literal standpoint. And... This passage is one of the passages that's used in the uh, persuasion of those that would say, now we're back to uh, some of the uh, more uh, pedestrian ways of, sight of fighting a war. That's going to be with uh, beasts of burden. Well, We're not going to solve that tonight, but I just thought I would at least point that passage to you so that you can see where some of that uh, controversy arises. Now, we're either uh, looking at uh, a parenthesis for verses 8 through 11, or a flashback, I guess you could say we could use them both, for uh, verses 12 through 15. But, uh, in this parenthetical flashback, um, what we see is that the uh, there's a uh, a battle that is raging in the land of Israel. And uh, the words that we have here, the nations that fought against Israel, take us back to verse two. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. And that's where we are. So we see verse 2. And I'm, when we get to verse 15, I'm going to pull this t- together as sort of in a little bit of a chronology. But um, we're looking back to verse 2. That's where this uh, passage, this um, pericope, as we call it, um, is focused. And Zechariah is now describing... The second phase of the invasion of Jerusalem by what some people call a confederacy of Gentile nations, the others, uh, the Antichrist armies, uh, Gentile nations is all three of those are descriptive. <clears throat> the first phase was the attacking armies finding success and we see that in verse 2 of chapter 14 because they take the city of Jerusalem whether they are able to take the entire city we see that that's probably not the case because there was still a remnant there but secondly (coughs) we see the pillaging of the houses of the city And then we say, see the abuse of the women that are in the city. Now in this phase, in the second phase, the Gentile armies will be destroying, will be destroyed around Jerusalem because they attack in the first phase. The second phase, they're attacked. They are being attacked. And they are going to be destroyed around Jerusalem both supernaturally and by means of warfare by the armies that are still there. And we'll see that there apparently are still forces from uh, the area of Judah that participate in this second phase. And what we see with chapter 14 here, this section, we're going to see a summary of a divine plague, a divine action on the enemies. And it's not only on the humans, the individuals, but also, we believe, uh, verse 15 to be taken literally, it's also on beasts. Uh, We're going to see a significant panic from the Lord. This is the second part of the Lord's destruction on this nation. He plagues them, And then he also creates a panic. And we see that in other passages in the Old Testament. And then there's plunder. So if I was really working hard on an alliteration here, I'd say we have panic, or excuse me, we have plague, panic, and plunder. And I could probably then write a book about it or something. But the plunder is not of... Uh, the Jews, it's the, it's the plunder taken from the Gentile nations. And one of the things that some people might question, say, well, how much uh, would they have to plunder? Well, according to this passage, it's quite a bit. And one of the things that we don't completely understand today, because our uh, American uh, forces don't carry this kind of loot with them, but in those days, uh, the soldiers would plunder as they went, and they were allowed to maintain that, uh, plunder with them. And sometimes, if they had plunder from previous campaigns, they would make sure that they kept it with them because there was really less security, uh, there was no real secure place for them to leave it. And therefore, what we might have here is Gentile armies that have arrived. In uh, Jerusalem, just heavily laden with we 're going to see silver and gold and uh, clothing and other types of uh, of spoils of war and so there 's a significant there 's more significance to that than we might think today <clears throat> uh, Of course, there was also some plunder that was taken from uh, the homes in Jerusalem and those, that is going to be recovered. Now in this passage, we see that God is promising to repay the oppressors of Jerusalem. And I, I think that's another one of our, uh, principles that we need to, to, uh, to remember and actually rest in the Lord's provision. Uh, periodically, uh, we might be uh, uh, abused, we might be wronged, but the Lord who is the judge of all the world, all the universe, he is going to do right. And justice eventually arrives where it's supposed to be. And the Lord here is uh, promising to repay the oppressors here of Jerusalem. The nation's that came against Jerusalem are going to be judged and they're going to be judged in a very severe and devastating way Um, and what we're going to observe here the timing is really the end the final phases of the Armageddon campaign and I wanted to review that tonight but I just don't have the time with some of the other things I want to do, and maybe we'll do that next week. Uh, but anyhow, the Lord has the final say. And the Lord is going to not only devastate, but destroy the nations that oppose Israel, that oppose his people. Now, in verse 12, verse 12 says, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Uh, Remember that it's the Lord that brought these nations to Jerusalem, and he's brought them there for destruction. God is in control of these things. Uh, Anyone at that time uh, might be wondering, how can the Lord stand by and and allow this to happen? Uh, How is it possible that We are being oppressed by all these nations of the world. Uh, Does God not care? Uh, Does he not know what's happening? And the answer is, he is causing it. He is in control. And for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ to return, those who have an understanding of the timetable for this event know that the end is near and that God is going to act and he is going to take care of them all right first of all in contrast to the removal of the harem the ban and I'm going to discuss that just briefly here towards Israel the armies attacking Jerusalem are going to be plagued they are going to be what we're going to see here uh horribly destroyed now in verse 11 it says the people shall dwell in it we're talking about the land here and the jews and it says no longer shall there be utter destruction and i mentioned last time that this is our word cherim and it means to be uh, uh, the f- the phrase used by the Alexa, lexicons Hebrew lexicons means to be devoted to the band and of course the question did come up last time what do we mean by band not band not a d on the end but b-a-n and it means that there is uh, a divine exclusive hold on uh, either individuals here we might say the land of Israel uh, or we could even say certain possessions and by saying that we're saying that god has made certain uh provided certain requirements to israel and other and other nations and he periodically will designate something either for destruction or for divine protection and one of the examples of protection, the word harem, uh, the Hebrew word harem, from that we also get the Hebrew word that, or, or the English word harem, which means a, uh, a number of women that might be part of a king's or, uh, a lord's, um, family, we might say, and they are protected. They are uh, designated to be a restricted group. Now we also have in the Old Testament the uh the Lord restricting things for destruction. And Jericho was restricted for destruction. And we would say that it was the, the word cherim applies to Jericho and we know that because uh, Achan violated that restriction by taking something from Jericho and when uh, Joshua finally determines the Lord's assistance who had violated this cherim this band uh, then Achan was destroyed as well. And so uh, what we see here is that uh, Jerusalem, Judah, and Israel had come under a type of judgment that was designated by the Lord. And uh, nations had carried out this uh, judgment. Um, Assyria, Babylon had done so, and then finally Rome destroying the nation. And so we see here in verse 11 that they are no longer under that destruction. They are no longer under here. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now, on the other hand, this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. So we have, in sharp contrast here, to the absence of the removal of harem that that was uh, applied to Israel, we see that the people who have persecuted and tormented Israel will be inflicted with a plague. Now, the Hebrew word for plague, and it's translated different ways uh, by English versions and throughout the Old Testament, but it can mean blow it can mean slaughter it can mean plague or it can mean pestilence and uh, we do have the word used in exodus for the plagues that occurred to egypt <clears throat> in fact i think i have that here uh every strand uh, however every standard english translation in this passage, uses the word plague. Uh, The translation plague, I think, fits the context. Um, So the the context validates those translations because what we're going to see, uh, the plague results uh, in extremely horrible physical destruction. The description that we have here in the context is truly horrible. It's not merely a malady or a pestilence. Now, uh, the same word is used for the plagues against Egypt. And in Exodus 9.14, and we're also going to see the same word, used of the destruction of the recon team that gave a bad report. Uh, in Exodus 9.14, I remember when we were going through Exodus, Uh, I translated this not so much as a plague, but as a blow. And you can see that these were blows that were provided by God against Egypt, one after another, until Pharaoh finally uh, got the message. And some of them could be described as plagues, there were boils. Others could be described as pestilence. Uh, and others could simply be described as uh, hardships that were uh, brought against them. But when we have this word in Zechariah 14, we really have it described uh, um, clearly for us. In Numbers 14.37, I want to go back to Numbers 14.37 just to see how this word is used. It's not always easy for us to understand what it means. Um, in Numbers 14, we've studied this many times. Um, there were the, the reconnaissance team returns, and only Caleb and Joshua give the proper report. Uh, the others, the other 12, give what was called a bad report. And because they gave an evil report, they're going to be destroyed. Verse 36 in Numbers 14 says, Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain or grumble against him, Moses, by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land, died by the plague before the Lord. Now, all we have here is the plague, and we have no idea what it was. So there's no real description of it. Uh, all we can say is that uh, there was some sort of uh disease, malady, pestilence, something happened to them. We simply don't know what it was. But there's the word used. The same word is used referring to the Philistines in 1 Samuel 6. Four, And this is a little bit more of a, uh, uh, a, uh, a passage that helps us with the understanding of the word. I just like to always do a little bit of a word study to try to determine how the word is used. And I think it's also enjoyable to see how it's used. But you'll remember that uh, when Eli was... The uh, the priest for Israel that his sons took the ark out to fight a battle thought that it would bring them good luck, and instead of bringing good luck, the uh, the army the Israeli army was destroyed and the ark was taken uh, captive. Um, it was seized by the Philistines and they took it back down to their uh, five state um, nation. And it wasn't long before they wanted to get rid of it, because their God Dagon uh, was being not only was he uh, bowing down to it, but there were plagues, we would say, within uh, these cities. And in verse in first Samuel six 1 Samuel six four. Uh, 1 Samuel 6, 4 uh, well, let me just begin here in verse 1. Now, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Notice, they have it properly identified. It's not just the ark of Israel's God. It's the ark of Yahweh. Tell us how we should send it to its place. In other words, we want to send it... W- right back where it belongs. Well, one of the problems is that they destroyed uh, the location where it was and there's going to need to be another place found. Uh, Shiloh was destroyed uh, and it's going to actually rest at Nod uh, when we finally get it back into Israel, but it's going to take a while to get there. So they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, notice here we are, do not send it empty but by all means, return it to him with a with a trespass offering. Let's see what their trespass offering is. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Verse 4. Then they said, What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? And they answered, Five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague... Was on all of you and on your lords. Now there is a uh, quite a a discussion study, or um, really not an argument over what this plague is. There were definitely rodents that plagued them; they were overrun with that. But the fact of these tumors, you know, some uh, very humorously, with sort of a tongue in cheek, say that well. We think they were uh, hemorrhoids. Well, there's really not a lot of of uh, original language support for that. Um, it's certainly possible, but these tumors appear to be something that is affecting their skin. And they had maybe a particular shape or form. And so they make those tumors. Uh, uh forms of those tumors, which I find this to be quite interesting, is that they have these golden tumors and then golden rats as the trespass offering but here is it's how as how it's used here uh the extent of the plague is exceedingly more severe in Zechariah's time and in his prophecy uh than in first Samuel, but it seems to be a physical disease not a pestilence. Uh, six here, the word is used by David describing his and Israel's plight in Second Samuel 24. So as we head back towards Zechariah, let's go to Second Samuel 24. It's used in other uh, passages as well, but I'm just giving you a flavor of what this word is. And in some cases, it's deadly, and in other cases, it is not. Now, in Second Samuel twenty-four, David is brought to the place where he wants to see the the strength of his army, and so he decides to take a census. And God has, in the past, told Israel when to take a census, when to know exactly the size of their uh, their forces. But David here, if we go to Second Chronicles um second chronicles uh towards the end i think it's twenty four we see that he is led to do this by Satan, in other words, there's a temptation here that leads him to do this, and anyhow, because of it, and even uh, Joab, who were never going to hold up as a great spiritual warrior, he was a great physical warrior, but not not necessarily spiritual. But he recognized this as being something that should not have been done. And what we see here then in 2 Samuel 24, 21, David, well, not 21, but... uh, Verse 10, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. And... The Lord sends Gad to him, and Gad says to him, so Gad came to David in verse 13 and told him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in the land, or shall you flee three months from your enemies, he's already done that, while they pursue you, or shall there be three days plague in your land? And the word there for plague is not our word. It's the bear. But as we go on, the Lord plagues David. David says, you know, I don't want this to go on. I don't want uh, to fall in the hands of the enemy. And so the Lord, in verse 15, sent a plague upon Israel from morning till the appointed time. And the plague we see in verse 16, in verse, rest of verse 15, from uh, affected from Dan to Beersheba and 70,000 men of the people died. I mean that is a fairly significant number um, and then David up in verse 21 he decides that he's going to buy the piece of property for the temple and uh, Aruna says why is my lord the king come to his servant and David says to buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the lord That the plague, and this is a different word that's been used so far in this, but David identifies this as a plague, as uh, something that is devastating, which is the word that we have here in Zechariah, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. So this is a significant word. Seventy thousand people died in a very brief period of time, uh, probably less than three days because... Uh, the angel, the uh, angel that was causing the destruction, was restrained by the Lord. Uh, it's used for a disease promised by Elijah to uh, Jehoram in Second Chronicles twenty-one. So uh, it is used, and it's used for in to for devastating effect. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, in Second Chronicles twenty-one, thirty thousand people die. Uh, And the language, therefore, is not hyperbole. Every now and then someone will say, well, this is a figure of speech. It's sort of an exaggeration. No, it fits the context literally. Um, So back in Zechariah, we see uh, the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. The rest of the verse, verse 12b and following, their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Well, a couple of things that we see here, uh, first of all, with their flesh dissolving, they're not going to be able to, to resist or fight because when their flesh dissolves, that means their muscles are gone. Um, when it talks about their eyes dissolving, it means that they, they don't have awareness. Their, their knowledge of what's happening around them. They're blinded and they can't see. And then, of course, they can't communicate with one another. And that's one of the reasons we're going to see a panic coming. Um, In verse 13, their tongue shall dissolve in their mouth. So the image of uh, necrosis and putrefying flesh is revolting, but it describes the fury of the Lord against Israel's enemies. Um what we see here is that Zechariah doesn't appear concerned with explaining any of the physical cause for these calamities. Rather, his prophecy makes it clear that the Lord causes these disasters, these ailments, not some natural physiological occurrence. So there's not suddenly uh you know some gas leak that causes this. Uh, here in Zechariah, uh, the plague attacks both man and animals, uh, completely disabling them. And then finally, its effects are described by the same verb. And the verb that we have here is machak. Machak. And it means to rot, to fester, to decay, or to waste. And it's used three times. Uh, the New King James Version uses the word dissolves. Um, I think the New American Standard Bible uses rot, uses the word to rot. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, I mentioned their muscles would decay, but possibly just the, uh, the skin is plagued. But the idea here is because of it, there's physical disabilities that go with it. Um, so the the three different forms we have is that the flesh is going to decay. And that's a hithel stem for this verb and it means that it's caused to occur. Uh, and it's going to occur while these warriors are in combat. They're going to be on their feet. It's going to happen. Um, their eyes, it says, will rot away in their sockets and the tongues are going to melt. Uh, so this is... I mean, you couldn't ask for more destruction of a military force. And again, my point here is that this is how God um, reacts to those who uh, oppose uh, his people, the Jews. Uh, But the principle is towards his people as well. Uh, Forces and people and individuals that are abusive... um, are going to run afoul of God's justice. And we don't need to try to take things in our own hands. Of course, we defend ourselves. Um, but the idea here is that God is not without means. And I think it's important for us to see that. In verse 13, uh, verse 13 it says, It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor. His neighbor's hand. All right, here we are. Uh, the word panic uh, is mahuma. And it's uh, an interesting word. In addition to this physical destruction, what we're going to see The Lord is going to send panic, confusion among the Gentile armies that are attacking Jerusalem. And we probably can understand this. There's probably a sense of of what's happening to them. There is panic there. Uh, The Hebrew word for this confusion, mahuma, means panic, tumult. Uh, Turmoil is another word that's used in by English translations. Even hysteria, so we have this uh, plaguing the army. And this is a huge army. And you can imagine if this is the kind of uh, of attitude that's uh, gripping them, uh, you've got a severe problem. Um, thirdly here, the word is used for the confusion in the Philistine camp when Jonathan and his armor bearer attacked them early in Saul's reign in 1 Samuel 14.20. Uh, let's Take a look at this. First Samuel, fourteen. In First Samuel, fourteen. This is when we studied First Samuel. I I found this to be somewhat of a, an amusing passage. Because uh, the Philistines are spoiling for a fight, but Saul, not so much, and he's found a some shade and he's kind of conducting uh, business uh, that the king might conduct. I don't know if he's holding office hours on some members of the uh, uh, the armed forces, but he's he's not doing anything, and. He has a force over on one uh, prominent piece of terrain, and Joshua, and Jonathan, his son, has a force, a smaller force, on another piece of terrain. And, uh, well, Dad's not doing anything, and Jonathan finally says, Listen, I'm not sitting around anymore. Uh, Let's carry the fight to the enemy. And he and his armor bearer in. Uh, chapter 14 do this. Uh, Verse 11 says, So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, the the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Here's sort of the challenge that they would express to them. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. You know, this is a remarkable thing. Uh, it's one uh, soldier and his armor-bearer, the armor-bearer designed to carry the armor. He can also defend his back or fight beside him. But his main job is to ensure that uh, his the knight... That he's supporting is capable of fighting. If he loses a sword, you may give him another one. If he uh, needs another uh, shield, he has that. Uh, whatever he needs, he's supposed to be the equipment manager, not necessarily the fighter. So you really have one individual going up against uh, the Philistines. And it says, And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell, they fell before Jonathan. So this is, uh, the garrison here of the Philistines who thought they were going to show Jonathan something and my golly it looks like Jonathan's got something to show them uh, and it says in verse 15 and there was great and there was trembling in the camp in the field and among all the people the garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked, so there was a very great trembling all, some, suddenly there's a great tumult here on the battlefield uh, and uh, Saul is not going not gonna to engage the Philistines, but Jonathan does, and because Jonathan does, and because he trusts the Lord, the Lord does. The Lord is going to fight for Jonathan, and this is you know one of those passages that doesn't get much airtime. You, know, you don't read it on the news very often, but it's very similar to what David did against Goliath. Jonathan had that same kind of faith, and out he goes to fight. Now the watchman of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. In other words, they're scattering. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. He says, Fall fall them in. Take a muster so we can determine who could possibly have caused this. And we're going to see here that, well, Jonathan's missing. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. The crown prince. The crown prince? My gosh, what's going on? Let's just jump down to verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. So they said, hey, there's a battle going on, he's over there fighting them, and they're scattering in all directions, so let's go. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion, panic, tumult. Uh, moreover the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time went up with them into the camp of the surrounding country also joined the Israelites so they had some uh, what we would call uh people who had crossed over and were fighting with some Hebrews that were fighting with the Philistines because they apparently were not fans of Saul uh, and now they uh change colors and they start fighting within the ranks but anyhow you can see here that there's great confusion. And you'll also notice that there is, uh, every man begins to fight against his neighbor. Uh, Now, back in Zechariah. Zechariah 14 says, In that day, it shall come to pass in that day that great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor. The word for seize is chazak. Which means to be strong or to make firm. But it comes to mean strengthening against something. And here we could say opposing. And therefore, I think the better translation here, the correct, t- the context presents the Gent- Gentile warriors attacking each other. And therefore, the better translation is that everyone will oppose. His hand will be strengthened against the hand of his companion or friend. So he's going to oppose them. And therefore, what we have here is destruction within the uh, armies of the Antichrist by their own hands. They're destroying themselves. So what we would say here is, uh, in other words, there will be intramural conflict in the Gentile armies resulting in mutual destruction for in their madness they will attack and kill each other uh, one of the greatest uh, uh, problems within a military force that really bears not only on physical uh, destruction but also morale is what we often call fratricide and I think uh, that was one of the one of the problems we had in Desert Storm. Uh, when we uh, went, uh, we, when the attack actually began uh, in February, uh, the the majority of our casualties came from uh, fratricide. Uh, Hellfire missiles hitting the wrong vehicles um, because we just either didn't see, and and the vehicles were exceedingly well marked, as well marked as they could be, but um, both Americans and Brits and French uh, were killed because of uh, killing each other, and those were those are just devastating losses, and so here um, is one of and the reason i know that is because i was there in riyadh and the central headquarters uh, with uh uh not only the uh, uh central command but also with the um the arab forces and that was you know the big talk is all the effort we made to prevent fratricide that was occurring and As I was just saying, it's something that can be a a real significant problem. Uh, Now, verse 14. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Now, this is not something that you would expect to read with uh, a force today. But, again, it's because they carried their wealth with them. Um, And, Maybe to a certain extent, that caused them to be, uh, more fierce warriors because they thought they were fighting for their possessions. Uh, first of all, the setting of the plague and the panic is Jerusalem. It's in and around Jerusalem. And we are familiar with this because we know that the, uh, Arab, the, uh, the Antichrist armies have surrounded Jerusalem. And the Lord has rescued the remnant that was inside the loyal, faithful remnant that was inside. And so the setting here of this plague and the panic is on the army that is surrounding Jerusalem, the Gentile army, the army of the Antichrist. And while the remnant has been given a means of escape, the text says Judah will fight at Jerusalem. So what do we have here? And that's one of the questions uh, what is the sense of this passage? I think the sense is that the remnant has been rescued by the Lord and the Gentile armies have now entered and secured the city. So they're now in the city. Fourth, with the Gentile armies experiencing divine destruction, the surrounding forces of Judah however large that is, but it's outside the city. There were forces that were not destroyed by the uh, Antichrist armies, by these Gentile nations. They are now attacking from outside the city against this enemy. And again, that causes us to ask the question, well, if this is a huge Antichrist army and they came down and they were attacking the area around around jerusalem and jerusalem how do these other forces survive well god protects them god allows their survival and it is sometimes a remarkable thing how individual units can survive on a battlefield even though they may be surrounded or they may be overwhelmed but they're still able to uh, hold their perimeter, they're able to uh, survive as an isolated unit, and that's very likely what we have here. There are going to be some brave forces that are still in and around Jerusalem, and they are intact, they are tactically um, unified, and they are able to uh, not only break out from being surrounded, or somehow they re-engage the enemy and the enemy of course is coming apart literally at the seams uh fifth here the lord will also fight against the gentile armies we see this in verse three back in verse three we were told then the then the lord will go forth and fight against the nations and he fights in the day of battle well this is the day of battle so this is not Something that we would exclude from this. So the Lord is also here fighting against the enemy, and possibly what happens here is the remnant had f- uh, flowed out of Jerusalem. Now it may be flowing back in because it was a uh, a tactical force that had had uh, defended themselves and had escaped. Six. Once this is accomplished, the enormous wealth of the nations will be gathered as the spoils of war. And back in Haggai, I didn't get a chance to really uh, develop some of the concepts here that I would have liked to, but look at Haggai, which is the just a two-chapter book uh, just be uh, before Zechariah. In Haggai 2... Verse 6, let's just read this short passage here. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all the nations. And we believe that this is Jerusalem here, because The context. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. Uh, There's a sense there that there's some claiming by the Lord of all of this wealth that's there. All right now finally verse 15 verse 15 we've already discussed in some detail because it says such also shall be the plague this plague is so significant that it not only if for some reason somebody thought they might be able to mount a horse and get out of there or get a donkey or something no the animals are Uh, incapacitated as well. Such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey, uh, and on all the cattle that there will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. Okay. Uh, Now let's get a little bit of a chronology here in chapter 14. Let me see if I can kind of rip through this pretty quickly. Uh, I think I've got about... 10 points here, but hopefully it will sort of pull this chapter together because this is a a very important chapter to end time events. Uh, First of all, the Lord will gather all the nations of the world against Israel, specifically Jerusalem, and we read that in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the Lord will fight against those nations. So these nations... He is bringing those nations against Israel. And there are some Jews and Gentiles who might be in the land are going to be destroyed by these nations. But these nations are being brought to Israel for their destruction. And this is one of the ways that the Lord destroys his enemies. He gathers them together. He doesn't need to, but here he has. As a matter of fact, that was one of the uh, strong suits of the war in Iraq for a long time as long as we had a pretty strong army there uh, we saw that a lot of the uh, jihadist terrorists uh, and those who wished to do evil instead of coming to America were going to Iraq and the American forces there were killing them and they were dying there well this is sort of a, a little bit of the same idea Thirdly, the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives and create a way of escape for the remnant that is in Jerusalem. And that's verses 4 and 5. Fourth, the Lord will cause supernatural changes to the cosmic system, which will bring confusion to the attacking armies. And we see this in verses 6 and 7. So this is how this builds this chronology of events. We then have a, what we would call maybe a parenthesis or the interlude there of the millennium. And point five, the Lord will cause extreme debilitating physical destruction to the Gentile armies. We see this in verse 12, 14, 12. So the Lord, in fighting against these attacking nations, everything is against them. Nature, the Lord, and the opposing forces of Judah. Sixth, the Lord will cause great panic and turmoil within the ranks of the Gentile army. So not only do we have this extremely debilitating physical destruction, but of course we see this great panic and turmoil within the ranks of the Gentile armies. That's verse 13. The Gentile armies in great confusion will mistakenly attack each other. They will raise their uh, hands against each other. And, of course, the word here, uh, uh, Yahv is the word hand, and it means power, strength, so they're fighting each other. And that's also verse 13. Uh, Point eight, the forces of Judah will attack the Gentile armies who are besieging Jerusalem, those that now are falling apart, and are in a panic. these forces of Judah, in verse 14 are going to attack the Gentile armies. So they come now in the attack. Verse nine, or. Point nine, the wealth possessed by the invading armies will be taken by Israel. Uh, point nine is found in verse 14. And then 10, the plague that smote the Gentile armies will also affect the animals with those armies in verse 15. And, of course, there's always that question, why in the world are the animals suffering here as well? Well, there's no one who loves animals more than God. God has created them, and therefore uh, God has a reason and a purpose here. And it very well may be that these uh, animals even though there's this great debilitation there's some who are trying to escape or for whatever reason there is nowhere to go there's no route of escape and they're simply going to be destroyed and therefore I come back to my point this is the Lord uh, providing defending um, protecting his own and today in the United States we need to have the confidence that God will provide for us. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't make preparations for uh, difficulties we uh, uh, we believe that we may encounter, but we also have to believe that God is going to take care of his children. And uh, I don't expect to see it quite the same way that we see here in Zechariah uh, 14 verses 12 through 15 but God does provide. And, you know, we very often turn around and we think there's a problem and we don't think there's any answer and we turn around and there's an answer. God somehow provided. And we think, well, that uh, that is really remarkable that God could do that. Well, it's sort of what I was reading in Matthew today and I uh, started over and reading the Bible and I'm in Matthew 10 and in Matthew 10 it talks about the sparrow is a sparrow or sparrows are they worth barely pennies but yet you are you not worth more than the sparrows and the Lord's point to them he's actually talking to his disciples before they go out as apostles to the, to Israel he was t- saying to them you are incredibly valuable to me Don't worry about taking money. Don't worry about taking an extra pair of sandals. Don't worry about taking an extra cloak. Don't worry about taking food. Provision will be made for you. So God will provide. God will provide. We simply need to trust him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your provision. We're thankful for your promises of deliverance. And we're thankful, Father, that we live in a nation... uh, in which you have made these provisions we're thankful father for the uh, for the president that you have placed in office and we pray father for his safety for his wisdom we pray that you would provide him with uh, members of his cabinet and his advisors that would be loyal to him that would understand what he is trying to accomplish in his understanding of making America great again. And making America great again means that we fulfill the responsibilities that you have for America, Father. And we pray, Father, that um, even though he is opposed, there's never been a headwind against a president like we see against this president. But he is also being successful. He is still... uh, courageous in the way he goes about things he's still optimistic and we pray Father that that would continue that he would uh, continue to pursue what he believes is correct and we pray that he would have those around him who are not resisting him but are assisting him and we pray Father for his success so that it would bring honor to you not him and we pray Father that America as a whole would understand Uh, that we truly are, that we truly have a spiritual heritage, and therefore we have spiritual responsibilities. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.